0: This meeting is being recorded.
1: Good morning, everybody. Today is Saturday, April the, April the what? April the, April the 9th, 2022. (laughs) You are watching or listening to another edition of Forward Maryland. I'm Bill Whitcock.
0: And I'm Steve Hunt. Good morning, everybody.
1: And we have a jam-packed show this morning, so let's get right into it. I know a number of you out there in viewer and listener land have been uh, eagerly awaiting our April gubernatorial top 10, and we will be getting to that in just a minute. But Steve, first thing I wanted to do today, and and you and I have talked about this, but uh, for those of you in the town in which I live, Columbia, Maryland, uh, it is the season of uh, village board elections. So for those of you who don't live in Columbia and are not aware of Columbia, Columbia is not an incorporated city, which is kind of a shame. Uh, it is actually managed and run by a homeowners association called the Columbia Association. Uh, the Columbia Association is made up of, is is governed by a President-CEO who is hired by a board of directors, of which there are 10, one who is elected from each of the 10 villages. Uh, also, each village in Colombia also is governed and managed by a village manager, village staff, and also a board of directors comprised of five, seven, maybe nine people. So this is the season for those village board elections and also for those elections to the Columbia Association Board of Directors. And uh, in the village of Wild Lake, we have two friends of the podcast, both former guests of the podcast, who are running. Uh, There is the incumbent, Tina Horn, and then there is Bill Santos. Who was the um, who is the challenger? And last year they both ran for the vacant for the vacancy, and uh, by a narrow margin, uh, Bill Santos lost. I would like to urge anybody out there in viewer and listener land who might be in Columbia and specifically the uh, the village of Wild Lake to elect Bill Santos. Uh, as the new uh, Columbia Association board representative from Wild Lake. Uh, Bill has a terrific uh, range with breadth, depth of experience in Columbia and Howard County affairs. Uh, Columbia, I mean, Howard County and Columbia are above and beyond all else land use communities And Bill's experience on the county level, on the Howard County Planning Board for, I believe, 10 years, gives him a deep level of knowledge in uh, not just how to plan, but how to plan right and how Columbia should grow in a sane manner. Uh, also, uh, the Columbia Association itself is going through a transitionary time. There is a new board, a new president of CA who has only been in the job for it'll be a year uh, come next month, and there have been uh, some drives to um, you know redefine what the Columbia Association does and what services does it provide for its residents. Uh, Bill is a very experienced voice uh, having also been a Wild Lake Village board member and uh, a independent voice. He's not attached to any group or um, or uh, I should say gaggle of activists or uh, <coughs> business officials, uh, um, you know, civic people behind the scenes who are looking to redefine what Columbia is for the benefit of lining their own pockets. If you are looking for somebody to elect to the Columbia Association Board of Directors from Wild Lake who will put residents' interests first and who will not be concerned about uh, their own uh, political career, uh, their own need to listen to the sound of their own voice, um, Bill Santos is that person. I've known Bill for over 20 years now, and um, he is of level head, strong character, and he would be a benefit to the board of, of directors of CA. And I know, Steve, I know you don't live in Columbia, but you've known Bill for a while. There may be some things you'd like to say as well.
0: Sure. And, and, and uh, not being a Colombian, but maybe a, a quick you know, public service announcement for the, the good people of all of the villages of Columbia. Uh, just a reminder, Bill, um, you know, they, their elections are not the same day as primaries and that sort of thing. And the last I heard, unlike the great state of Maryland, Columbia has not moved their election date. So what, what would that date be for the folks in Columbia to know when to get out there and vote? Uh, it, it would
1: actually be in, I believe, uh, three weeks from now um, on, on the on the 30th of April.
0: Okay. So, so my first message is get out there and vote. Cause I, I know, you know, uh, you're right. I've known Bill for, for a long time. I've also known Tina for a good while. And I know the last election, I think there the the whopping sum of maybe 500 votes were cast and <laughs> maybe 600, but it, it we're talking about several hundred in a, a village of several thousand in Columbia, which is, you know, a, a pretty big place. So the fact that you, you, you only get a few hundred people voting, uh, for for a position that, quite frankly, has maybe more effect on your lives in many ways than your county council, your county executive, your state. I mean, you know, these are the people, especially the way Columbia is is organized, you know, they really do have, this board um, has true impact along with the uh, members of the individual village boards. Um, As far as two candidates involved, uh, you're right. Um, I've known Bill for uh, wow, north of 20 years, a uh, great guy, smart guy. Um, I actually serve with him now on the Howard County Board of Appeals. Uh, he is the chair, I'm the vice chair, uh, previous to that he served on the Howard County planning board. So when you talk about, you know, issues of land use planning, zoning, um, you know, he brings all of that to the, to the table. He's an engineer by trade, quite frankly. Um, and when you look at Columbia, you know, it's, it's now past 50 years it's no longer about how to develop Columbia. It's how to redevelop Columbia, how to reposition it. You know, the whole village center concept got pretty much blown up by the rise of route 175 and the big box store. So, you know, how to position Columbia for the future. Um, a planner is good to have in doing that. And, you know, as far as bill locally in wild lake, you know, for those of you who like the redeveloped wild lake village center, um, Bill was key, critical, and central to that. You know, He, he had a vision for that as a type of mixed-use area uh, that could position Wild Lake, the Village Center, to be successful in the future. And if you've ever been there, it is awesome, especially compared to some of the other older Village Centers that haven't been redeveloped. So uh, Tina, uh, I cannot say enough good things about her. She is as passionate An activist and advocate as I have ever met. Um, I remember her on, I think it's Governor Warfield Parkway, I might have the the street wrong, Um, you know, holding up signs talking about injustice and and racial inequality. You know, she was Black Lives Matter before Black Lives Matter became cool uh, to a lot of people after, you know, George Floyd's murder. So uh, I can't say enough good things about her passion and her advocacy, but uh you're right uh when you talk about the future of columbia wild lake and the other villages with you know obviously columbia downtown um having that planning experience having that experience as an engineer and and that vision of what columbia can be being born and i don't know if he was born in columbia i know bill was raised in columbia you know you talk to him and he is columbia through and through uh jim rouse would probably be proud of the guy um i think he's your man going forward um to take Columbia forward, and specifically the Wild Lake Village forward. So that that's all I would have to say. Two good people, uh, but for, for if you talk about the future of Wild Lake and Columbia, I think you know Bill's the better choice because of what he brings to the table. And and
1: Steve, I, I let me uh, issue a correction because and I'm embarrassed for this correction. And I thought I was right. I thought I was wrong when I said what I said. So eh, I'm ridiculous today. Uh, the village election itself is April, Saturday, April 23rd. And so, but you can vote before that. So, residents of Wild Lake and residents of other villages that are having elections, um, you can vote by mail. You should have received a ballot by now. Uh, if not, you can go to your local village office and you can learn where those are yourself. But there's also mail, in, there's also in person voting. And that is Saturday, April 23rd. So, two weeks from today, not three, from 10 to 1 uh, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Slayton House in Wild Lake. So, vote, Wild Lake, vote, Bill Santos, elect well, a great person to the CA Board of Directors. Yeah, vote um, Columbia. On, yeah, there. Onward and upward, forward, as we tend to say in this fine program, Steve. So for the remaining 30 minutes or so, we are going to share with you out there in viewer and listener land our latest gubernatorial top 10. Um, Steve, did
0: you start
1: last time?
0: I believe I did. Uh, So in the snake draft format, I believe, uh, Mr. Woodcock, you should start first.
1: (laughs) Snake draft format of two. Uh, so, so, uh, we, I, I advertised on Facebook that I think there's going to be some disruption. So there's, there's been some polling, there've been some endorsements. There have been some people who have had to make decisions and, and declare, uh, as, as former Ravens coach, Brian Billick would say, decide and declare, uh, what your intentions are. And so with number, and so there's going to be a shakeup, uh, dropping out of this ranking entirely on my part, on my ranking, is former U.S. Education Secretary John King. Um, just to, And I think that deserves a little bit of a, I guess you could call it an honorable mention. Uh, his campaign is completely leaking oil, failing to take off. It's not that he's a bad guy. I mean, he, he's trying, he's working very hard. Um, but I believe that his, his, his lane has been very effectively taken up by another candidate, and that would be Wes Moore, and he will appear in the, in the, in the uh, ranking. But coming back into the ranking after a few months away at number 10 is Robin Ficker, uh, the Republican candidate. Yes, he was just disbarred. Uh, yes, he he's, he has uh, changed all of his two-cent signs up and down Route 50. Uh, but, Steve, in that old political maxim, uh, I'm going to go with uh, any press being good press. Mm-hmm. And considering as he's at least received some press, um, he at least has, has demonstrated that his campaign – at least has a weak pulse, which is a little bit better than I can say for the King campaign. And so I have him as, as number 10. Who you got?
0: Well, I have the aforementioned John King at number 10. And, and Robin Ficker would have gotten my honorable mention, but I, I just cannot take his, I don't see his chances as, you know, as being serious enough to put in the top 10. As far as John King, um, you know endorsements are what they are. I think some are more important than others. I think some are more important to certain people than others. And, you know, recently the Maryland State Educators Association, I may have that name wrong, but it's the MSEA. It's a group that represents educators in the great state of Maryland. Uh, they had their endorsement meeting and they endorsed Westmore. Now, if you're John King and you're an educator by trade and you helmed the U.S. Department of Education, and you have made education, the implementation, of the blueprint, et cetera, your signature issue. I mean, that's, that's John King's calling card. And your own peeps, as they might say, don't have your back. That, where I come from, is defined as a problem <laughs> and a big one at that. Is it a fatal blow? Is it a death blow to one's campaign? No. But if you're John King... I don't know where you go from here. Uh, he had a good fundraising number in January. We'll see what his April number looks like. So he certainly has the the financial means to carry on. But at some point, you have to ask yourself to what end. So I, I kept it in the top 10 uh, over Ficker, but uh, everything you said is right. And like I said, this MSCA endorsement or lack thereof for Mr. King, uh, where he goes from that, I don't know. So that that's where I have him.
1: Well, who you got at nine?
0: Uh, number nine, I have Ashwani Jane. Um, you know, I don't know if there's anybody working harder <laughs> than this guy. Uh, you know, we've had him on the show. You know, we we talked about his, his campaign, his fundraising style, the crowdfunding and all that stuff. Are, um, and, but, I mean, every time you look up on social media, he is somewhere. So he's putting in work. Um, he, he certainly has a good message, and I'm sure those people who he can touch, um, it, it you know, it may resonate resonate on some level. Um, I, I don't know if there's a path all the way there for 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 Ishwani Jane. And uh, you know, we talked about it before. After he was on the podcast, that it, whichever Democrat, if 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 a Democrat wins the race and becomes next governor, this is somebody you need to look at for putting in your administration because. Um, he, he's got something going, and so for, for that, I, I put him at number eight. Um, puncher's chance, long shot chance, but a chance because of the work he's putting in.
1: Well, you put him at number nine, you said. I thought you said, I think you just said number eight, but you meant 9 I'm sorry, number
0: nine, my bad,
1: yes. Sure, so, so to your point about who can actually win, I mean, do I think Robin Ficker can actually become governor? No. Uh, do I think John King can? <laughs> Uh, Not really. And the same thing, I believe, of my number nine, who's Ashwani Jane uh, also. um, Yeah, I mean, you know, everything you said, Steve, plus I will say he's building a network that will serve him well for future campaigns for office or for professional opportunities for him personally, uh, other leadership uh, things that may come down the road. Uh, and I think it's important to bring up, you know, to kind of augment your point about, you know, now is the time. I mean, we're, we're still doing the top 10 and we're going to do this in, in May and in June and whenever the primary might be <laughs> you know, leading towards that. But, uh, I, you know, the, the universe of people who can legitimately get elected governor and, or, you know, is, is shrinking. And, and some might just have, you know, too many hurdles to overcome to get through the primary. Uh, so, you know, theoretically, yes, any of these people can get elected governor. But will they? Not likely. And, and, and in some cases, it's a shame. And that's a perfect transition into my number eight, who is also a, a, a friend of this podcast, former guest. <laughs> former Anne Arundel County Executive Laura Newman. Um, I'm very disappointed in how she's faring, but I'm also saying it's not that much of her fault. Um, I, I believe that there is there are a few factors at play here. Uh, she's not tracking well in polls for a number of reasons. One, uh, not much of a natural political base. I mean, she she was appointed to the Anne Arundel County uh, executive spot and, and didn't win election in, in her own right. Uh, she does have uh, political roots in Howard County, Baltimore City, Baltimore County, but in none of those places had she served as an elected official. Plus, um, you know, I find her, of course, I I, I very much enjoyed her personal story and, and, and find her a quite compelling not just candidate, but person. Um, it is a shame that in such a progressive state of as Mar- uh, Maryland, that there aren't more, uh, there aren't more groups that are going to her candidacy, and I'm not going to white male, you know, man, man, man talk down to women's groups. But I do have to wonder out loud, why women's groups are not supporting, pardon me, I'm getting choked up about this, a, a strong uh, white female candidate with a positive message uh, and who would look to break Marilyn's version of that highest glass ceiling. Uh, she certainly has the chops, she has the skill set, she has the talent to do it. And then also, while she's at it, not just break that glass ceiling, but also break up a lot of the machine politics in the state of Maryland. Maybe that's the problem, uh, because she is running as you know somebody who's outside of the outside. So again, you know, um, great candidate uh, given the. Uh, structure and organization of some of these candidates when we get to our top five she would be an amazing superstar she would be our Gretchen Whitmer but uh right now she doesn't have a chance and that's sad
0: yeah um and and my turn for number eight and it is the same um person at number eight that's Laura Newman and I'll just say pretty much what you said Bill I mean um and I think that uh, not not to to get into inside baseball and and family squabbles, but I think that some groups are not just groups that support people like themselves, but they also only support people who think like they do. So I think that may be Ms. Newman's problem. We talk about some of the support of those who you would think logically would support somebody with her story, her profile, her background, uh, but the fact is, you know. I would say by her own admission, she's more to the moderate side of the fence. I think that Laura Newman is an example of why this whole idea of in Maryland, you have to file as a slate um, hurts because I could think of any number of the other candidates who are above her on this list, who would be very fortunate and it would be very strong as a ticket if at some point they could get nominated and say, my lieutenant governor, my running mate is Laura Newman. I, I think that would be a hell of a spot for her um, because you're right. She, she, yeah, I like your Gretchen Whitmer, Whitmer analogy because, yeah, she could be that. But, uh, yeah, uh, reality is what it is. I'll be interested to see what her uh, fundraising number looks like for April. There really wasn't one in January because she entered the race late. But, uh, um, yeah. Uh, I can't expand any further than what you said, but strong candidate, great candidate. And like I said, uh, maybe along with Ashwani Jane, somebody who, um, if, you know, a Democrat wins uh, the governor's mansion, uh, you know, she could make for one hell of a commerce secretary <laughs> because of her business background. Who do you have at number seven, Steve? Okay. Number seven is my big faller of uh, big between. Big faller? The- the big well, not, not you didn't confused, say big baller like like Lamar Ball. You're
1: you're yeah, saying not, big faller.
0: Yeah yeah I've got the my my, my okay. big my big trend up and my big trend down. So yes, not to be confused with big baller. My Ooh. big faller is um, former attorney general Doug Gansler. And and look, friend of the podcast. Yes. Seven. Yeah. Did it. you have him at two? I I've had him at as high as two. Last time I had him at three. Um, I now have him down to seven because here, here's the bottom line. Um, I still, I'm a fan of this, of this guy. He was on the podcast. I think he blew us both away with just how he presented himself, spoke to the issues, policy, etc. cetera. I still maintain that if you did a Mitt Romney and had a binder full of resumes and profiles of people not named Peter Francho. And you laid that binder on the table and you said to the voters of Maryland, pick the profile of the person, no names, no faces, of the individual best positioned to take on the man himself, Peter Franchot for the Democratic nomination. I would put money down that a majority of the people, if they did not pick Doug Gansler's profile, he's in the top two or three. He's that strong when it comes to policy experience. But at some point, What's potential and what's on paper has to translate into votes. It has to translate into momentum, and it has to translate into that sense that this person's going somewhere. And I'm just not seeing that. His his fundraising number in January was not strong. We'll see what April's looks like. Um, and and at some point to your to your point, Bill, you have to say who who right now has the momentum, who has the the the, the base of voters and support that that has a realistic shot at this thing. And I'm just not seeing signs of that with with Doug Gansler. I, I wish I did because I think you know he should be in the mix by all rights. But he's not. And it is what it is. And so I, I I think there are others that I will talk about later who realistically have a better shot at the nomination, you know, including possibly upsetting Peter Francho than Doug Gansler right now. So he's my number seven. Uh Bill, who you got? Well, my seven, six, and five are all people who are in
1: the same theme as what I just said about Laura Newman. I mean, good candidates, strong candidates, but they're they're grinding their ge- gears, they're spinning their wheels, and and uh, I, I'm not quite ready to give up on the Gansler yet. But where I, but who is in my number seven is former Montgomery County Council member Tom Perez. Uh, He scored well in a recent poll. I believe he was either third or fourth, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot based on, on name recognition, but uh, I don't see a lot of overwhelming support flocking to his campaign. Um, Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, it's more of a function of that, you know, he seems of these three candidates, so I'm going to, you know, reveal the next one momentarily, um, he seems to be in the biggest rut, his, his wheels of spinning, 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 and, you know, they're, they're up to the top of the hubcaps. Uh, the next person may only be in it to the middle of their hubcaps, and that is state, former state commerce and former state labor secretary Kelly Schultz, who I believe I've had as high as number two in these rankings. Um, and and also, who was endorsed by Governor Hogan within the last month. So mm-hmm. then, why am I saying that she's spinning her wheels? Because it really, that endorsement really didn't create a bump. It really didn't get followed up by any media. Uh, it didn't get followed up by any, um, you know, it, it didn't get followed up by any excitement. It didn't get followed up by any buzz. Um, You know, our, 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 you know, the Washington Post, Baltimore Sun. I mean, they did a perfunctory story on the endorsement, but you don't see anything. And, and what's mentioned is that, you know, yeah, she's endorsed, but she's running in a primary with three other candidates on the Republican side. Um, You know, I I even understand and and saw a uh, funny post by a former Republican delegate in Baltimore and and, uh, Howard counties, uh, you know, even even criticizing her signs uh, because because even though the the signs are white and her name is black, but Kelly is is yellow and just, you know, a, a bad, bad, bad color scheme. Uh, of course, the person who I'm thinking of, in all fairness, used uh, white and sky blue as his colors. So, eh. Uh, but I like Don, so you know he 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 knows who he is if he's out there. But um, but anyway, um, you know the fact that the sitting governor's endorsement caused barely a ripple. So I have Kelly Schultz as number six. What about you, Steve?
0: Okay, my number six. And by the way, the whole thing about signs, I get a little PTSD because uh, when I ran for office in 2018, there's an individual, he knows who he is, who fancies himself to be the Mr. Blackwell of sign ratings. And I think he said mine was the worst looking sign of any candidate running in Howard County. So so don't get me started on, on people who aren't in the game or who have never been in the game rating signs. Although this Baltimore County person, maybe they've actually run for something and not sat in the sidelines running their mouths. Anyway, enough of my bitterness.
1: <laughs> it I wasn't talk- Don?
0: That wasn't Don. Uh no, it was not. Okay. Uh,
1: well, yeah, we'll have to talk about who, who this fool is at some point. Don at least yep. has some smarts. And my delegate signs were red, white, and blue. So and. But anyway, who do you have at six?
0: Okay. Six? <laughs> Uh, uh, Tom Perez, who you just mentioned, and what I will say is, very quietly, you know, Tom Perez has not run a bad campaign. He's raised a lot of money. Um, he has got the endorsements mostly from the people who you would expect him to get endorsements from, a lot of labor unions, uh, things of that nature. Uh, he made a, a good pick for his running mate. Uh, you know, he's done a lot of good stuff, but as i was saying with doug gansler at some point it has to translate into something and you know there is there any buzz around the tom press campaign no Is, is there any fire and flash or or you know endorsements outside of his wheelhouse of organized labor no um so at some point i mean he'll be around because he's got the money but you know where where is his base of voters Where where You know, you you name me an area where he might get votes and I will tell you who will get them instead of Tom Perez. Uh, So uh, your your grinding of the wheels analogy is um, very good. And and I agree. And that's why I have Tom Perez um, where I have him right now at uh, number six. And then
1: where's your number five? Now we're breaking into the top half of the rankings.
0: We, we are and and to me the top five really you're starting to get into people who who have a realistic shot at this thing whether it's the nomination or going all the way and i opened up with um prince george's county former prince george's county executive rasha baker um it, it's interesting about uh the baker campaign the news continues to to not be to their favor um Another endorsement in Prince George's County um, went to Westmore. In, in this case, Aisha Braveboy. Not really a surprise because she was at the event where County Executive Angela also Brooks announced her endorsement. And, and Ms. Brave Boy at the time was like, no, I'm just here hanging out. Um, so we, we see where that goes. Um, also, there was the whole situation with the MSCA endorsement meeting where um, County Executive Baker could not make it. Um, he had, a, I believe it was a death of the family and obviously our condolences to, um, the, the Baker family. Um, uh, and he was going to have his running mate, Nancy Navarro speak in his, on his behalf. Uh, she was told she was going to be able to, and then at the last minute she was told she wasn't going to be able to. So it was a whole back and forth between the Baker campaign and the MSCA. So it, it just continues to be an uphill battle, but, you know, in recent polls, he's still, you know, top three, um, you know, he's still there. He still has that name recognition. And the fact of the matter is he brings a, a voting block with him. And I keep hearing the the voice of R- friend of the podcast, Richard DeShay Elliott in my head saying the leaders in Prince George's County ain't the people in Prince George's County. And proof of that was, you know, uh, richard Baker had an event recently where I think five members of the County council were behind him in, in you know, showing their support. So he certainly still has that base of support in his uh, county. So um, can't write him off. Uh, need, need to see something out of him to say, okay, he really can get this done. But he is very much in the mix. And people who write him off, I think, would be making a mistake. So I have him at number five um, in this poll. And like I said, he's the first of my ones that I say really a truly realistic shot at this thing. So who you got, Bill? Uh, Steve, don't these, don't these,
1: don't these entities, don't these labor unions, these special interest groups, don't they know who the hell people are? I mean, I mean, what really are they going to learn through a, a heavily scripted interview that they're not already gonna learn? Because they they know these people. So why 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 do you why do they why do they put up stupid rules like? Oh, your your lieutenant governor candidate can speak. Oh no, they can't. What 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 is this stuff?
0: Well, I think some of it is all about kissing the ring, as opposed to really getting answers to policy questions, even if they are policy questions that are of interest to your organization. I think a lot of it is just to say that you know this candidate you know came to us to get our support and And by the way, there was also some controversy with the MSEA endorser process with the Laura Newman campaign, where depending on who you believe she either was given or not given enough time to fit to to fill out a questionnaire that apparently is, you know, longer than, you know, of mice and men. (laughs) So, uh, you know, certainly that endorsement process was not a smooth one by any stretch. So I think it's a lot of that. And I I don't think it's a good look for the organization when they say, well, if we can't have the candidate who's running for governor, we're not going to even accept their lieutenant governor, especially under the circumstances uh, by which we Baker could not make it. I mean, uh, so again, uh, not a good look, quite frankly, for the MSCA in that case. Um, But I think, I think it's a lot of that. It's let's take a picture with our president, with all of these candidates, you know, on bed to knee looking for our support, but it, yeah. it, it's,
1: well, it's kind I of, mean, tricky. The, the man became a widower in the fall and, and then, you know, he had another death in the family. So, you know, I, I believe the MSEA, and and no offense, Steve, but I believe you also underestimate uh, the fact that people do remember the name for Sherman Baker, not just for being a successful County executive in Prince George's County, But having run a very strong second and really should have been first uh, candidate uh, in the 2018 primary for governor. And, you know, I think there is many a person who voted in the Democratic primary for governor who wish they would have had a take back and not gone for the moderate, uh, the low level celebrity uh, with Me Too issues. Uh, who, who who, once said that he was running for governor in a speech that he was running for governor of Virginia, who spent most of his time out of state raising money. I believe that people are going to remember Rashawn Baker when it counts, which is at the ballot box. So I have do not have him number five. I have him higher than five, and you'll see how high I have him later. But at number five, I have Doug Gansler. Uh, I, I, I notice in both of our rankings that we're still both giving deference to the people with uh, elected experience. Um, you know, uh, Doug Gansler kind of ends that list of people whose campaigns are spinning wheels. That's not to say that they couldn't spin further, um, but I also think he's he's suffering from a little bit of the same. Uh, issue that Tom Perez is, and in fact, had not the uh, Hogan endorsement of, of Schultz had just gone, you know, you know, made the crowd go mild. I mean, I probably would have put uh, Gansler and, and Perez as tied because mm-hmm. their their prior political experience. Where I said it seems to be helping Baker, it's not helping either of these gentlemen that much at all. So, so Gensler five. uh, But if I had to have an arrow, I would also go, you know, I would also point it arrow down, as they say. I forget who says that. But anyway, they say that. Uh, And then at number four, I give my highest ranking ever to this year's moderately known uh, celebrity candidate, uh, Wes Moore. Uh, Although I have to say, uh that um whether consciously or unconsciously, uh his campaign are is not making the mistakes of Ben Jealous's campaign for governor of Maryland. Steve, do you remember who Ben Jealous's lieutenant governor candidate was? I I, I know.
0: Gosh, I do not. I can't. The name is not coming to me. Sorry.
1: Well, I, I don't remember it either. And I was, <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't even have enough chance to Google the sucker. Maybe I will in a minute. Uh, but, but Wes Moore picked Aruna Miller, who is a former yeah. uh, state delegate and elected official in Montgomery County and is not just quite uh, popular, but also very smart. And and you know uh, it's probably an overreach to say the LBJ to Westmore's JFK, uh, mm-hmm. but it's clear there that that's some of the experience. Is that he wants to get some? He wants he wanted someone on his ticket who was very keen, keenly tied into uh, Maryland politics. Uh, i had a a family emergency on on sunday particularly a veterinary emergency on sunday so i could not attend a westmore meet and greet that went on in howard county mm-hmm. but i was impressed to see several very prominent howard county elected officials not just attending but speaking on westmore's behalf at that event and you know his his popularity is picking up the the endorsement of the MSCA, which you know, as much as I'm not a fan of special interest group and labor union endorsements, they do matter in Maryland politics. Uh, the endorsement of Angela also Brooks, uh, the county executive of Prince George's County. Uh, Wes Moore is definitely trending up. Uh, he seems to be correcting the mistakes. Of like I said, the uh, the other um, moderately known celebrity candidate with with ties to the state of Maryland that some people kind of question, uh, and so he's my number four. Um, but he can definitely go. He definitely can still go yet higher. Steve, where are you at number four? As I try to go back to googling this person.
0: uh number four i actually have former commerce secretary kelly schultz and in in terms of the hogan endorsement i don't think it got any buzz because i don't think anybody was surprised uh it wasn't like larry hogan was gonna um endorse dan cox after dan cox called for his impeachment (laughs) so um i'm not surprised at the lack of buzz there and and look the let's just be honest What's keeping the Kelly Schultz campaign afloat and keeping her in the mix for possibly winning the Republican nomination for governor of the state of Maryland is her opponent, who just when you think he could go lower, he finds a new bottom. I don't know if you've seen some of the stuff he's put out this week, but he apparently has fallen into this new Republican talking point. And this is a whole other podcast that – We might have to do it at night because it's not suitable for, you know, audiences under the age of, I don't know, 50. But they they have this new thing about child pornography and pedophilia. I mean, you saw you saw it during the Katanji Brown Jackson hearings. And, um, you know, you saw the tweet after her confirmation, but with Marjorie Taylor Greene and apparently now Dan Cox is falling into that same trap. I don't know what's going on with these people. This Trumpist wing of the, the Republican Party that is now not just infected the Republican Party, but has taken the damn thing over. But, you know, I, I just I just think that maybe enough Republicans will say a conservative is one thing, but bat you know what crazy is something else. Can't pull that lever for this guy. So, to me, and I said this last time, so it's probably a broken record at this point. I might have said it at the time before. It's not about anything miraculous or, or – you're not going to write books about the, the Schultz campaign and how she won in a blue state if she ultimately becomes governor. Um, you know, It's not going to be like the story of Larry Hogan. It's going to be more of a story of she got through because she was sane. <laughs> so I, I keep her at number four only because at, at some point maybe Maryland Republicans see the light and realize that – they're not just going to nominate a miserable politician, but quite frankly, a miserable human being. And and, and maybe maybe that's the line that they can't cross. I mean, uh, you know, you, you saw nationally Republicans finally went after who's the one to talk about orgies um, that, that fool in Florida. Yeah, that clown in Florida. Maybe that maybe this is the line that Republicans will finally draw and say, OK, that's enough. So I have who you got. At number three, Mr. Woodcock.
1: Well, wait a minute. Well, who do you got at number three? Because we're we're, oh. we're, we're we're snake drafting.
0: Okay. So, all right. So, my number three is Wes Moore. Um, you know, in, in sports, they talk about momentum, and ain't nobody got the momentum right now that Wes Moore has. I mean, you know, talked about the latest endorsements MSCA, uh, uh, Prince George's County State's Attorney Aisha Brave Boy. Uh, I also could not make the event on Sunday. Um, It was actually being uh, hosted by a mutual friend of ours uh, who the fact that he is so heavily behind Westmore is also pretty darn impressive. Uh, If you, you know, I won't name names, but uh, the fact that he's all in, which is something he does not do um, was pretty impressive. I did see pictures and got reports from the event. Uh, Very impressive event. And Oh, by the way, uh, you know, we talked last, in one of our podcasts about Rashera Baker and how many people in, in Howard County were behind the Baker campaign, putting up signs, et cetera, that trend is starting to go more towards Westmore. Uh, there are several electeds in Howard County that have endorsed that campaign. So, you know, he's got the buzz. He's got the momentum. Um, you know, it. I, I would say as of right now, the race is looking like You know, for the nomination on the Democratic side, it's looking like Francho versus Moore with maybe a a Baker out there, a Perez out there, maybe a Gansler out there. But if you said, you know, who who are your top two at that nomination, you got to put Wes Moore there, because at least in my mind, because he's got all the momentum right now. And, um, you know, he's looking strong. And I'm I'm expecting a big number when the April uh, finance reports come out and uh, he'll keep it going. So well well, well the, the
1: finance numbers might might do it to me to to make more number three or maybe even number two, but my number three is still Rush Baker. Um, mm-hmm. because of everything that I mentioned. I think he's still the only real name that people remember from the 2018 campaign. I mean, you know, the 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 candidates were Ben Jealous, and by the way. Susan Turnbull, Susie Turnbull, ah, Democratic yes. Party activist, was, was the lieutenant governor candidate. And, okay. and Kevin Kamenetz, the former Baltimore County executive, had passed away weeks yeah. before the election. So obviously, he's not around to run again. Right. And, and then, you know, beyond that, you have people who have faded into the, the seven winds. So, so Baker is still that name. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's why he's my number three. So staying true to one of my principles, you are where you are until you either, you know, until you're not anymore until you either do something to knock yourself down uh, or, or until somebody overtakes you. So could that time be coming for him? Possible. Is it here yet? No. Number two, because i you know um in in your ranking of kelly schultz still at number four shows that you have much more faith in the sanity of maryland republicans than i do (laughs) number two is still frederick county delegate dan cox haven't seen anything to not make him number two uh you know um and, and does he just keep doing his crazy yeah does uh does uh Um, his his lieutenant governor running mate keep doing their crazy? Yeah, but also let's look at this. What does it say that I put Dan Cox number two? And this is, and I'm about to say a thing that apparently got somebody in the, some official in the Maryland Democratic Party uh, forced out of their position. And I guess if I was an official of the Maryland Democratic Party, I probably wouldn't say this, but I'm not. Uh, So I'm going to say it. I really have concerns about the electorate in the state of Maryland to elect a person of color to a statewide office. I'm sorry. I have concerns. Yes, Michael Steele was lieutenant governor for four years. I get it. People don't vote for lieutenant governor. There has never been a person of color as governor, as attorney general, or as Maryland State Comptroller. Those are only the three most important elected jobs in the state of Maryland. And unfortunately, when I see um, a potential matchup of a Cox versus a Roshan Baker or a Cox versus a Westmore, I will work like hell and I will do everything in my power to get Baker or Moore elected to the office of governor. But I still think Maryland has a little bit of a problem with breaking that glass ceiling. Uh, and, and I can't, and I can't say as, as I have that much faith, uh, not just in Maryland Republicans, but maybe Maryland voters in general. So, you know, um, you know, his being number two, please don't, please don't take that as any affinity for this man. Um, you know, take that as a snapshot and a slice of where the electorate is now. I'd like to think that, uh, you know, um, not just Republicans would be smart enough to elect Kelly Schultz and not this clown. Um, but also that Maryland voters would elect a, um, a Rush Baker, a Wes Moore, a Doug Gansler, a Tom Perez, a Laura Newman, uh, before they would vote for this idiot. But I don't have that much faith. I'm sorry. <laughs> Where are you on this?
0: Uh, I'm the same place you are, uh, you know, Delegate Cox at number two. And, and, and to your point, Bill, it's not about who I want to win or who I'd like to see win, but who's got the best shot. That's why we do this. And, and, Right now, you've got to say he's got the best shot at it. Um, yes, I have a little more faith in, in our, our friends on the Republican side, but not a hell of a lot more than you do. Uh, you brought up an interesting issue about people of color getting elected. And you mentioned Michael Steele, of course, we can mention our current Lieutenant Governor Boyd Rutherford. Um, but you're right. And, and you talked about the big three, you know, um, Attorney General and comptroll. Look no further than those races this year. On the Comptroller race you know the Democratic establishment was very quick to get behind Brooke Learman and you know the attorney General race my goodness uh, you know what what a situation there with you know Anthony Brown and um, um, O'Malley I can't remember her first name right now yeah so so you know so look, look at that race it'll be interesting to see how that that ends up in terms of you know where uh, people of color stand so um As far as the governor's race, yeah, I I can't say any more than you just did, and it 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 makes a hell of a statement. But you know, primaries are base-driven, low turnout typically, and in that scenario, you know, I I still favor Dan Cox, and I and I actually, it's not even a I have to think about which one between Cox, Schultz, and even if you go thicker into the mix, you know, you ask me, I'm gonna say Dan Cox, no problem. Um, We'll see how that turns out, but. Uh, Right now, um, he's my number two as well. And Steve, who's topping your list? Well, you know, as you said, um, you know, you are who you are. And, you know, you talked about Rush Baker. You're going to leave him where you're going to leave him until he shows that he needs to fall off. And, you know, it's Peter Francho, uh, state comptroller. Um, I I see no reason why he is not – the betting favorite, not just to win the nomination, but to win the whole truckload. I, I just, you know, he he has done, ha, has he run this campaign that's going to be inspirational, that's going to, you know, make people say, oh my gosh, it's the greatest thing we've ever seen. No, but the man does what Peter Franchot always does, what he needs to do to get the job done. That That's just how he rolls. It, it's not going to be flashy. It's not going to be spectacular. He's not going to have events like we just talked about with Westmore over in Howard County and everybody, you know, falling all over themselves to to talk about what a, you know, wonderful, you know, paragon of virtue he is. But people just realize that Peter Francho does one thing. Well, he gets shit done. Pardon my French on a Saturday morning, but that's what he does. And he and, and his running mate, Ms. Anderson Walker, that they just get it done. And so until somebody can find that secret sauce to knock him off, this is not 2018 because as much as we both think about Rashear Baker, I I think that Peter Francho is a whole different level in terms of maybe the insurgent taking out um, maybe who might've been the favorite. Um, So I I just cannot find a scenario where Peter Francho is not ending up being the nominee here. Um, he's still got to keep working and still got to get it done, but he just keeps getting it done, and that's why I haven't been number one until further notice. Bill, where are you at? Steve does all he do is win, 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 no
1: matter what. That's what the brother does. That's he what he is, does.
0: Are you saying he's a latter day Wiz Khalifa? You know, you know, he 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 just puts it down and gets it done. That's how he rolls. <laughs>
1: Oh, well, he's my number one as well, and, and Steve, I, I don't really think I want to belabor the point. Everything you said, and we should have planned this podcast today out a little bit better because I want you, because you, you deservedly get the credit for uh, lining up our next podcast guest. We will not be podcasting next weekend due to uh, the Easter weekend, uh, but Steve... Tell the good people out there in viewer and listener land who our next guest is on our next podcast on April the 22nd.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, on April the 22nd, we have the man himself, Maryland State Comptroller, Peter Francho, on our broadcast. Um, very excited about this. There's, you know, we're, we're going to try to keep it to it. Not only out of respect for his time, but you, the viewers, uh, we could go on for hours with this guy because of his career and and and, and everything else. But we'll keep it we'll keep it crisp. Uh, by the way, shout out to um, his field director of Howard County, uh, uh, Sean Ford, who I ran into at at the recent uh, forum that we talked about last time, and and I mentioned to him that I'd love to have uh, Comptroller Franchot on the show, and he facilitated that. So Sean, thank you so very much. Um, but, yeah, really looking forward to the show, looking forward to really hearing from the man himself. And, uh, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, it, it's going to be a, a heck of a show, and uh, uh, there's not going to be any banter beforehand. We're just going to get right into it and, um, you know, you know, have a, have a great time and a, a very engaging discussion with uh, uh, Comptroller Peter Franchot. So thank and, you, Bill. Uh, looking forward to it.
1: Oh, absolutely. And hopefully that will make one and all very, very happy. Uh, so yes, I have Peter Franco as my number one candidate. Um, you know, he just basically keeps rolling along. I mean, even in a poll that was commissioned, uh, you know, he yeah. emerged with, I believe, a uh, uh, like a uh, an eight point lead, uh, yeah. I think 23 uh, to I think 15 yeah. for Mr. Baker. So, yeah. um, you know, when even your opponent's campaign polls are uh, saying that you're ahead, uh, you got to be doing some stuff right. So we are proud and honored to have Comptroller Francho on uh, for the first time in a couple years on the podcast um, on April the 22nd. And with that, we bring this April gubernatorial top 10 to a close. Steve, any last words?
0: Uh, no, you know, we we talked about there were going to be some movers and shakeups and and there certainly are those. Um, I think that you know, if if the race has not settled into certain tiers, I, I think we're there now. I, I think that you know, you know, we look at the top five, you know those those are the people who you really think they're in the mix right now. There may be a few at six or seven that that still can find their way, especially with the primary being slid back. but, uh, I think we're, we really ha- have a, a really good focus. And again, our next podcast will, our next top 10, excuse me, will be after the numbers come out for April. So that should add even more clarity as to, you know, who's got the 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 cash and the resources to, to make that run to the finish line. So uh, looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, obviously we're off next weekend. So happy Easter, everybody, for those who celebrate, uh, happy Passover uh, for those who celebrate that as well. If I missed any celebrations, please forgive me. Uh, but uh, enjoy the time, and uh, we'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to it with Comptroller Fan- Francho.
1: Indeed, and and not only not only did I learn uh, about Susie Turnbull's uh, <laughs> uh, lieutenant governor candidacy, which I knew she was when she did it, but also some uh, to to veer off into the world of football for 15 seconds. Uh, sad news for uh, fans of the Washington Commanders, nay, Redskins. Uh, the former quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, was killed uh, today, was in a car accident, and uh, oh, was killed. So he had, he was trying to latch on as a backup with the Pittsburgh Steelers most yeah. recently. So at the age of 24, that is, that's quite a shame.
0: That uh, is very sad. Wow, so, I didn't know that.
1: So, uh, so, for Steve, I'm Bill. You have been watching and or listening to another edition of Forward Maryland. Have a great day, everybody. Take care.